Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Well, in Alberta, how do you like them restrictions? Every province got restrictions. How is it that Black Friday is going to be the same? I mean, without like a really good fight over a television in a Walmart lobby like that. It's never the same. I did once go to a Black Friday sale in Atlanta, Georgia. And let me tell you, it was an experience. There was people would go and they would buy lawn chairs for like two bucks, sit in the lawn chairs and drink like Rockstar, and then just leave everything behind when the doors opened. This year, not the same. What are we going to do with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and all the shopping that could be coming through the weekend this weekend? Joining me now to talk about that is Andrea McDonald. She's the head of Tech and Telco at Twitter Canada, and she joins us from uh, Hamilton, Ontario, working in Toronto. So um, thanks for being here. It's great to see you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So what are we looking at this year? Twitter is really a data company. I realize that many people think it's just a place where Donald Trump, um, you know, acts like a buffoon. My word's not yours. Um, the But you guys are a data company. So you really do track um, what people are looking at, where people are going. And I thought it was a great angle to sort of take on to what is Black Friday and what's happening this weekend. What kind of insights do you have for us? Yeah, for sure. So uh, you are right. Twitter uh, is definitely one of the things that we do bring to the table is our data. Twitter is the largest collection of human thought that's publicly available on the planet. And so when you dive into our conversation data, you can really look at what the trends are, what people are talking about, and what's going on on topics such as Black Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we think about Twitter, really, Twitter is what's happening in the world right now and what people are talking about. And the reason people come to Twitter is to see and talk to people about what they're interested in. And right now, many people uh, in Canada are very interested in the holiday season and Black Friday. And so we're really seeing the conversation surge in this area. You know, the Black Friday deals are already on the platform. We're already seeing that hype build. But we could see this um, this hype build, you know, well into the beginning of the year. We saw the online conversation um, or the online shopping conversation really surge in April and peak there at about 300% increase year over year. Oh, so, no way, really. Eh? Yeah, yeah. So I think what we're going to see this year is, you know, Black Friday deals, Cyber Monday, it's alive and well. It's just going to look a little bit different with more Canadians shopping online, drawing inspiration online. Um, Pickup and delivery is going to be really, really important. Um, But people still will be fighting over TVs, maybe just uh, on the Twitter feed, not necessarily in the Walmart aisle. (laughs) It it must be, I mean, this is a big year with things like PlayStation 5 and all that stuff too. Um, Is there any way to correlate those events um, versus, you know, sort of this, this, traffic and conversation because this this year is different i mean you have a new playstation you have a new xbox um those are pretty big um on top of you know wow timing for a new video game platform during a pandemic like i mean really it is a for those guys it's a perfect storm of sales definitely it's it it really they really uh timed well for 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 those guys we have seen that conversation really surge on the platform you know really starting in the summer when a lot of the events and announcements took place for the new consoles that were were going to be launched and so we've really seen that gaming conversation absolutely spike and what's really interesting is that um, as that hype builds, as individuals are looking on the platform who might be interested in that next generation console, they're being persuaded and really driven further down that purchase funnel to really um, to really convert them to, to make those purchases. Now, if they're lucky, you're not really going to find a PlayStation 5 right now, no, uh, I don't think. Uh, it's sold out globally. But um, but definitely that is a huge part of conversation that is is taking place on the platform right now. So what about support local? There's a lot of pushes on to support local. That's a big one. Um, You know, I think that that would be a fun chore for a family to say, look, if you're going to buy me a gift, get it from something from my neighborhood, my small town, my city. Um, What what does that look like in the world of uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday into Christmas shopping? 
online? Yeah, so 40% of Canadians on Twitter are saying that they are more likely to support local businesses this year. And so I think the intention is, is definitely there. Um, that said, we're also seeing massive increases in conversation and mentions for a lot of the big box retailers. So what people are saying and what they are doing might be two very different things. And so making those asks of your family and friends to, to really support local, I think is going to be key. We've seen Amazon Canada have a 71% percent increase in mentions uh, in 2020 alone. So um, we know that, you know, there is just a reality of, uh, of convenience as we go into further restrictions and, and red zones across different regions in this country, that online shopping is just a necessity for a lot of people. And so, you know, there's a place for that for sure. There's a convenience and there's a necessity for that, but making sure that we put our money where our mouth is and actually shop local, not just say that we want to shop local, I think is going to be key to make sure that we have these amazing local retailers still around uh, for next year. It's fascinating to me, um, the perspective. So this is neat. It's kind of like behind the wizard's curtain a little bit. Um, but we are, we do see people who go to, well, there's obviously people who go to Twitter to just be trolls and, and do whatever it is that is for them. But a lot of people sort of touch in for news, um, touch in for info. Yeah. And we, one thing we go through here on the shift is that quite often we just had this conversation, uh, this yesterday was we, we would love to do a show where we didn't mention COVID. And is it possible to do that? So as much as we say that we go to Twitter to get the news and everything else, there must be a few things, the holiday season type stuff that people are going to Twitter for, for not COVID news and stuff like that. What do we, what do we see in there? Oh, for sure. So it's interesting when COVID hit, that was one of the biggest things that we dived into is how much of the conversation is actually COVID related. It seemed that COVID just was a part of our entire world and there was nothing else. But in fact, many Canadians are looking for distractions and the things that they're passionate about, whether it's music, sports, especially when sports came back, um, entertainment, uh, TV shows, binge watching, watch parties have really seen a big surge in conversation. And so it's interesting in that we want an escape from COVID and we don't always want to focus on it. But when we looked at what Canadians want um, to see in terms of holiday content on the platform, the top three things are deals and promotions, ideas and inspiration for gifting. But the third thing was showcasing efforts to support the fight against COVID-19 from retailers. And so while we know holidays is holidays, people are still really focused. And that's always that thing in the back of our minds. It's interesting, hey? Save me mm -hmm. money. Do the hard shopping work for, work for me and make me feel safe when I'm in the store. We want it all. We want it all. We do want it all. Oh, yeah. man. Well, we comment here on the shift about how amazing it is that we can't buy groceries anymore without an arrow on the floor. So, that, <laughs> do you that follow the arrows? I'm, no. I'm kind of guilty for not all. I don't. Why? I, if there's no one in the aisle, why go all the way around? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, doesn't make you. any sense, right? I'm with you. I'm with like, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, so I, I guess if we're going to talk about online shopping and we're going to talk about Twitter and all the things, um, I, I would I would lose my radio card if I didn't ask you. A, what's your favorite favorite account to follow for you, Andrea? Ooh. Okay, you, you I am a little bit. Twitter. No, I'm a little bit cheesy, and I am a big um, believer in the positive, the powers of positive thinking. And so, I have the secret actually on notification really? as like a daily reminder to uh, insert gratitude into my life. And so, nice. that's probably one of my favorites. Don't judge me because I know it's very, uh, very cheesy. Oh, hey, no, we're um, all about positivity here on the show. That's good. Yeah. And then I am very lucky to work at Twitter and that I have amazing colleagues who are all on the platform and uh, just following all the amazing people that I work with and the hilarious banter that goes back and forth. I think it's a bit unique, um, but um, some of the, the, the tweets, we call ourselves tweets, uh, are my favorite follows for sure. Are there any, um, is you ever get a memo at work where they're like, okay, everybody back to work, stop spending so much time on social media? Never. Never. Oh. <laughs> you can't no. get in trouble. All right. One last question. No. What was the last thing that you bought online? Ooh. Um, well, I hope my husband isn't listening because I bought him his Christmas present uh, okay. from Mountain Equipment Co-op. So right. I am a avid online shopper. In fact, um, I get so many packages. I'm also um, a mother. So there's a lot of toys that come in. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I usually have a lot of things that come into the office this year is very different. And so I've done an unboxing for, uh, for my team this year, because there's, 
they're just missing all the packages that usually come in. So there's, there's, there's so many things, there's too many things to really talk about, but too many things. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing time and the insight. Um, not many people think of Twitter as a place to go for, you know, shopping tips and all those, if you're not a Twitter user, um, and you know, I mean, Twitter's not for everybody, like every social platform, but there are great things about it. And, um, I like going there for the news and, and the, the insights of, of the things. Um, so maybe it's worth considering plus, um, cooking, baking, gardening, all that stuff, get on it. All that stuff that's on there. I think, um, what I would say is if you're not on Twitter, you know, Twitter is a look at this platform. It's about information and things that you're interested in. And so if you want to know what people are talking about a certain topic, you can search that functionality in the platform. Um, and it really will show you, you know, what everyone's talking about on a certain topic. And so it's not necessarily about sharing what's going on with your family and friends. It's really about information and news and finding what's happening in the world right now. Yeah. And you can always mute people, block people and get rid of people if they turn into the typical social media people. You sure can. It's a great feature. It's a great feature. Thank you so much. Andrea is uh, with us, Andrea McDonald and uh, Andy McD, if you want to follow Andrea on Twitter, head of tech and telco. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Take care. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, we're, we're auctioning off Matt uh, here. Uh, Matt had made a comment about picking his nose earlier, and Glenn has really struggled with this. Uh, sorry, Matt, you're saying it wrong. Um, you, you, according to Glenn. You can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That's it. Thanks, Glenn from the schwa. But what if your friend has a booger? Or is that like one of those things when they got something in their teeth? I don't know. Just just don't get in there. All right. Dave Scott, Spaced Out Radio, the man. I am that uh, guy. He's, he's, there he is. He's here now. Um, we've been auctioning off Matt, the technical producer on the program. So if you'd like to make a bid, you feel free. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, We're up to $34.11. Yeah, that, that's way too rich for radio, man. Way <laughs> too rich for radio. I get it. I get it. So, and throwing in smokes, of course. Well, you have delivery. to. You have to. Mm. This is important. You have to. Um, before we get started here, Dave Scott, with all the woo-woo, um, it is yes. Good News Tuesday-ish. And as yes. we do, we'd like to share the good news uh, here on The Shift with all of the shift heads. And, um, and I was wondering, is there anything good news going on in your world that we could share? Good news. Hmm. I work well, in good- radio. Mm-hmm. There is no good news. In- no, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, good news well- would be that I have a kind of a pseudo-breaking story for you. Really? It hasn't even broken. Well, it's broken. It's been tipped off teased but nothing official has been written yet all right well that sounds very intriguing doesn't it so what are we oh, uh I'm, what I'm, are yeah, we uh we're setting the world about here are we are we we are right. we reinventing something like uh, like is this are we going to end up in the news tomorrow because we did it today like what's going on well it could be it could be but you know shane we have talked a lot over the last number of months about the United States Navy videos of the Tic Tac go fast and the gimbal film. Mm-hmm. Okay. As we talk UFOs, but on right. December 2nd, there is going to be a very powerful article coming out by a journalist named Tim McMillan. And he has the inside scoop on a very intriguing story. Apparently, the United States Navy is not very happy about this story, and they are fighting, apparently, potentially, with some of their own in the Office of Naval Intelligence. So, in the last 12 months, there has been a major UFO sighting. Major. And what was happening was, I believe it was in the Pacific Ocean, there were two happenstances. Number one, which was reported by our team scientist, Bob McGuire, that there was a UFO underwater, submerged, that was toying with an American submarine. Oh, not crashed, like but, just swimming. No, just to- toying with it in the water. Hmm. Kind of freaked out the crew. The second one, and this is where it gets real intriguing, is the Office of the Naval Intelligence found out about this, 
wanted to go absolutely public with it. The Navy said no. So how they apparently got around it was they decided that they were going to send a giant memo with a clear-as-day photograph of a black triangle sitting vertically out of the ocean that was taken by an F-A-18 Super Hornet pilot. And as it approached this, as the Hornet approached this craft, whatever it was, it shot straight in the sky and disappeared. And they got one photo of this black triangle coming out of the ocean. When do we get to see it? Well, that is for debate. Tim McMillan, who is writing this article, I have it on good authority that he has seen the photo. Whether or not he's going to be allowed to release it in his coming article on December 2nd, I do not know. What I do know is the ONI, or the Office of Naval Intelligence, was so upset about the Navy not going with their new protocol in announcing what had happened, that they released this photo and the report to over 1,100 Secret Service and intelligence agents in the United States. And part of it, the other part that I heard, was they were hoping that this writer, Tim McMillan, would get a hold of it, that somebody would leak it to him. And that's exactly what allegedly has happened. We'll find out on December 2nd. But when we saw the videos from the United States Navy before, they were all in the early to mid-2000s. This incident has happened within the last 12 months. The Navy is going crazy because they've had two of them happen while on training exercises. They have no control of what it is. They have no idea what this black triangle is. The Office of Naval Intelligence wants it to go public. The Navy wants to keep the secret. So the Navy right now, from what I'm hearing, is trying to shut this down. So shut this down, why? Because they've already released other pictures, haven't they? Well, you got to realize that the other three videos were actually tricked out of coming. Now, how those other three videos came out was like this. A gentleman named Luis Elizondo was running a program called ATIP. And he worked closely with a gentleman named Chris Mellon, who was assistant or associate director of the Defense Intelligence Agency or the DOD. Pardon me, I, you know, us being Canadian, I always get that a little confused. And what he did was, in order to get those three videos released to the public, was he instead of ticking the box that said UAP or unidentified aerial phenomena, he ticked off the box that said drone. Well, anything that can is considered a drone can be released to the public. Anything that says UAP is not allowed in the public's eyes or the public's hands, even the political hands. And that's how those three original videos came out is they were declared as drones on paperwork because Elizondo and Mellon knew they were starting up the To the Stars Academy and they needed to get something out there as provable evidence, which is how that happened. Now, the United States Navy sure didn't like the fact that the To the Stars Academy was putting their logo on U.S. Navy videos and actually threatened to cut off both men from their top-secret clearance after finding out it was them. And so that's how those three original videos came out. The Navy has basically said because of that, they have now they admitted that those, uh, as we found out earlier this year, that those videos are definitely unidentified aerial phenomena, and they're not claiming it's alien. They're not claiming that there's little gray guys on there, but that they don't know whether this technology is from this planet of an adversary or of someone else. So when it comes to this new event, where allegedly one, maybe two photographs have been taken, a submarine has been toyed with in the ocean, a major nuclear submarine, and now we have an alleged photo of a black triangle coming out of the water, then taking off vertically, shooting up straight into the stars, almost faster than a speeding bullet, if not faster. 
the Navy is pulling their hair out trying to figure out what to do with these unidentified aerial phenomena that are toying with the latest human technology. So how heavy is that? Well, it's, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that, um, a, the other videos that everyone thought was, you know, the government being sort of open, um, might've been a clerical error or an accidental oops. Um, and I, I, I look forward to hoping we can see the picture. I mean, that would be always the, that's always the be all end all, isn't it? Is being able to see the photo. Well, that's what we would hope. That's what we'd hope. We want to see the photo. We definitely want to see the photo. However, the way skeptical people are in this field, they're just going to say, oh, that was photoshopped or that was that was something that was created by, you know, a tarp or, you know, somebody just posted that up like a billboard. That's the critiques that we're going to get on that photo. However, the Navy is going crazy on this right now because they're trying to keep the photo from being released. And they know there are certain members of the public that may or may not have copies of this. I'm leaning towards the may, allegedly. Huh. Um, okay, cool. So I guess we we'll wait and see on that one. Um, but there have been more UFOs in the news lately, uh, wasn't there? Wasn't there another story that um, there that was you a shared story? about a collision or an almost a near near collision? This happened on September 1st, where a Boeing 737 from an airline in the United Kingdom was landing at one of the airports in Leeds. And as they were approaching the runway, they started seeing this weird light coming up from, it came out of nowhere, and then up from the runway and literally missed the cockpit of the jet by about 10 feet. Literally. And it absolutely freaked the pilots out because they had a full passengers on board of, I believe, 182 people, somewhere around there. And they literally watched this thing come from the ground as they were getting ready to, to, to land. And they have no idea what this thing was. A police helicopter had reported seeing what they saw, what almost looked like lantern lights hovering above the runway as the plane was approaching to land. And now this thing almost attacks this airliner and comes within about 10 feet, according to the pilots. Now, the pilots have gone on record saying, no, that was no lanterns, no lanterns at all. This was something different. They didn't even believe it was a drone. But the interesting part about that is the airport and airports in the surrounding areas over the last five years, have had more than 400 reports of drones being flown near the airport and coming very close within aircraft airspace, especially around landings and takeoffs. So that's what they are trying to lean towards, but these pilots are all confused because literally this thing came within 10 feet of their cockpit and took off until it disappeared. They couldn't see it anymore, and they don't know what the heck it was and they were absolutely flabbergasted when they got onto the ground and landed the plane successfully without any incident. But to this day, they don't know what went on. Now, they've said that it could be a drone, but they're not sure. They're treating it literally by definition as an unidentified um, flying object. Now, this was um, this was in September originally. So why are the articles just starting to come out about it now? Well, I mean, everybody has to do their investigation. The minute you say UFO or UAP or whatever acronym any other government is using, it really ties into a lot of security. They don't want the UFO story out there. They're not ready for it. They don't know if it is a UFO. Is it a UFO from Russia, China, North Korea? Any adversary against the, the allied countries, in this case, they want the military to investigate it. They want their secret services to investigate it. They want other departments to investigate it before it actually comes out. And that includes multiple interviews with the pilots and, and the crew on board who actually saw this craft. They would go over radar tape. They would go over 
the police report because the police helicopter uh, and the pilot and co-pilot saw this so-called lanterns, two lanterns hovering above the runway. They want to do a full report to make sure that anything happened. And what happened? Now, with this one, they can write it off as a drone or something, you know, like Chinese lanterns or something along those lines because that's the way the police described it. They're not going to call it a UFO. It's the pilots of the aircraft who had a, you know, were just outside an arm's reach of this thing that are saying, yeah, that didn't look like anything that we've seen before. And let's face it, pilots know. I mean, we always quest, try to question whether or not the pilots know. You know what? They have been flying a lot of years. It takes a lot of talent, a lot of skill, a lot of smarts, and a lot of craziness to be a pilot. It really does, especially if you're a military pilot. But for you know these people, the one thing they do have is a trained eye. They're looking for birds. They're looking for anything anomalous because there's a lot of responsibility taking you know, a 50-ton aircraft filled with people who are relying on that professionalism in order to get them up in the air safe and back on the ground safe. So when something anomalous happens, these guys know that it's something different and it's something that shouldn't be there. And they're pretty keen on what they are seeing. So uh, the pilots are the ones really to believe. Well, that news story is uh, is in the news. Um you can see it. Um, it is out there. Mm, it's on the news in Australia. It's in the news in the UK, uh, partly because there was a confirmed drone near miss uh, uh, a little while before that. But the, all those articles do um, say what you're saying, which includes um, there are conflicting reports as to what it was, investigations. And it's a, it's a fantastic story. Dave Scott, thank you so much for being with us again on the show. I, the UFO stuff in the planes is, you know, kind of lands in my, my geekdom. So I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. It's great to hear your voice, Dave. Anytime. And uh, make sure you check out that story on December 2nd. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Did I wish Sleepy Joe a happy birthday? No, I didn't wish Sleepy Joe a happy birthday. I wished him an unhappy birthday. And I think it's going to be when we, you know, you saw Rudy Giuliani and my great legal team. We call them the Z team. And that brown stuff coming down his forehead, that's because he's working so hard. That's when you know that Rudy is working extra hard. The left doesn't have lawyers that can do that. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's The Shift. And uh, you've all heard my, I think it's terrible. Matt and Jason think that the Trump impression is pretty all right. Um, I think that there are some professionals who do it much better than I do in this world. And there's one particular guy, Jason's a big fan of Jail uh, Coven, and and he um, wanted to get him on the show. And I, I've seen his work, and I thought, that's a fantastic idea. And sure enough, we managed to do it. So now I'm going to ask you, Jail, do, are you a Calvin, a Coven, or a Coven? What is the proper pronunciation? Sure. Thank you for asking. Covan. Covan, really? Yeah. Wow, we had it's, a uh, My father was Haitian, so obviously that's a French-speaking country. So my full name is Jean-Louis Covan. Um, which sounds very French? fancy. I, I took, you know, up through AP French in high school and, and could read it and speak somewhat, but was probably never fluent and now totally out of practice. So no, I mean, right. if you speak slowly enough, I can usually still follow most, most of what somebody's saying, but that's, that's one of those things with languages that I always find funny. It's, it's not the volume, it's the speed. You know, when, <laughs> when you have somebody in New York, who's like, uh, doesn't understand. And then people kind of yell it at them as if that it's like slower <laughs> usually helps, even though yeah. that can feel insulting. Like if you're doing the translation in your head, yeah, that's just for everybody out there who gets accosted by a foreign language speaker, just maybe speak slower instead of louder. louder yeah. Because in case you can't hear me, that's <laughs> uh, kind of the way it goes. Well, cool. Thanks for the, that. So your history You've done mm-hmm. tons of stand-up. You've got all those stand-up albums out there. Yep. Um, let's just toss out your website right now in case anybody wants to check it out while we're talking to you so they can see what your face looks like. Oh, sure. Thanks. Uh, JLcomedy.com. We, we just redid the site. So it's. I always tell people it's just a one-stop shop for everything. Links to my social media, YouTube channels, my albums, uh, my two podcasts. So it's like rather than go, oh, do you have anything to plug? It's like go there, browse around. You'll find 
something or many things that will uh, entertain you. And uh, But until then, for the sake of our great country that I really, really care about, and I mean that, totally care about, very strongly, all our people from the Mountain Dew ranges of Colorado Trump voters to the bath salts of Florida. JL, you, you, you know, you've done impressions your whole life. Um, then you sort of fumbled into, uh, this four year period of Trump. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it wasn't really until towards the end of his tenure that, that it really took off, which, which is kind of ironic, but it really did start to take off. Can you tell the story about how it started to take off sure. mostly recently? And then, um, I, from what I could tell by your your writing, I mean, you seem kind of surprised to the people who plugged into it. Um, well, you know, being a a stand up comedian of of you know, I'm a very good stand up comedian, but I'm not. You know, I have two TV credits, but I've never sort of really gotten to where I want to be as a stand up comedian. So you get used to failure. You get used to sort of the par. You know, the par for the course is failure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a high you know, standard really, but right. It's it, because if your goal is, I want to be a professional working stand-up comedian, I want to be able to pay all my bills through comedy and stand-up comedy every year. You don't do that feels a bit like a failure. You might've approached success. You might have a year like, you know, until this year, my best years in comedy, I was making half my money mm-hmm. from stand-up comedy and comedy related things. And those are years I was proud of, but the, you know, you haven't achieved your goal. So it feels like another losing season to sort of put it in sports terms. So this year, um, I had taken a job at a, a law firm for the first time in a decade. So I basically just decided, okay, I, I turned 40 last year. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just sort of make comedy, uh, I don't want to say a hobby, but you know, the second priority, some stability benefits, more money. That's mm-hmm. I've, I've, I gave a decade and a half prioritizing comedy. So I take a job. I move out of New York for the first time in my life, other than school to New Jersey, bigger place, a little more removed from the scene. And then the world gets shut down in mid March. And I just started doing some, some videos on my cell phone. Like a lot of people, um, I guess I was maybe a little earlier to it than, you know, there's been a mad rush to sort of capitalize on this. Uh, they call it front facing comedy. Um, and I did a video on March 24th. It was like my fourth one as Trump doing my Trump impression, no makeup, no hair, just me talking. Cause the voice sounds really, really good. Um, and my friend, I was going to walk my dog that afternoon and a friend, my very close friend of mine texts me and goes, I can't believe this idiot says he wants to open the economy by Easter. And I said, Ooh, that could be funny. That, that could make for a funny video. So I just said to my girlfriend, wait with the dog for a second. I'm going to go put out a video. <laughs> and for two minutes, I just riffed on Easter and Trump, as, you know, talking about Easter and his lack of, you know, biblical knowledge and his lack of, you know, common sense uploaded it. And, you know, Two days later, it probably had a million hits on Twitter. A week later, it had seven million on Twitter and two and a half million on YouTube. And my life uh, was totally changed and my career uh, took off in a weird way because I couldn't capitalize and go do comedy shows at clubs. But I gained a a, a much larger following. You know, I went from 4,000 followers on. Twitter to 145,000 followers. My YouTube subscribers exploded. And I know there's a very long sort of story explanation, but it was, I, I, I'm very happy for it because I feel like I have all that year, all those years of, of comedy and stand up and videos to showcase who I really am and all the work I've done. And now more people are looking at it, but at the same time, it's still frustrating because I'm a stand-up comedian. Like there's a lot of people who aren't stand-up comedians who are thriving in this era, but all I want to do, even if it results in a pay cut is headline comedy clubs. Like that's, that's what my goal has been since the day I started doing stand-up. So, well, I think, I think the story matters. I think it's a great example of a lot of things. It's a great example of the power of YouTube and monetizing things and being able to make money. And, you know, I just had that conversation with my son about, he was talking about this guy who, uh, 
put a Hemi engine into one of those uh, new Jeep trucks and how then they had a video of how they blew the axle off it. And I was like, well, yeah, they did that on purpose. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, of course, the Hemi's going to break the axle, A, and they're going to make enough money on the YouTube videos to, you know, do it, to to make it back anyway. And it probably wasn't the original axle. So, you know, and he was like, really? They would go that far? I said, nah, that's what it's all about, right? Like, we don't really often look at how people can change their careers yeah. Uh, musicians and comedians by doing that stuff online. So I think, I think it's, it's really important now. And I didn't even post the video to YouTube until a few days later. I was, I was still not even thinking of monetizing or anything. Mm -hmm. I was just like, Oh, cool. People like it. And somebody said, is this on YouTube? I'd like to share it. I was like, Oh, so I don't know. It might've gotten even more hits had I had it up there originally, but obviously right. people were looking for it still a few days later because it got millions of hits on YouTube posting a few days after it went viral. So who I think is the best third first lady in the history of our country. And her name is Metamorphosis. Can you stand up? Do a little turn for everybody. Thank you. You have been your Be Best campaign was one of the greatest initiatives to never do a single thing. Is Trump your best impression? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's I think it's it's my best by virtue of the fact that I've never done an impression so much in my like it's not even close. You know, I'm I'm somebody who used to be very good at a a, a lot of impressions. I would say, hey, I've got like, you know, in one set I could do I don't really do stand uh, impressions on stage anymore. I basically save it for sort of videos. Mm -hmm. um, but I could do, you know, eight or ten impressions, no problem in one set. And they'd all be like a minus level. So you'd say, oh, this guy's got a gift. Maybe he's not the greatest impersonator, but he can definitely, he's definitely got skills. But the Trump just for various reasons, just he was the president. It was a good impression. And now because of this year, how much I've had to do it, it's, I just don't think I'll ever get as many reps doing an impression as I got with Trump. So like they say, practice makes perfect. And this was sort of, mandated practice just because mm -hmm. this was what people wanted so yeah it's definitely the best by by probably a good margin although some other people like other impressions of mine yeah i i it's interesting i i think it's great i think it's super fantastic but my favorite part about it is and i've sh shared this on the show the favorite part about it is two things number one is the breathing <laughs> um and number two because i could never get the breathing right and then number two is um you must be pretty well scripted at this point, or are you still sort of doing it off the cuff? Because some of the nuances of, of the, the pieces of your, of your impressions and videos are, they're so Trumpy in the yeah. way that he, the way that you break from this sentence to that sentence, um, and then back over here. And then there's a little touch of insecurity and then there's something, right? Like, it must it's, be pretty it's well all ad-libbed it's all ad-libbed no. and the thing the, yeah and the reason that is and i'm talking even my long form videos that are really? 15 20 minute videos and i think what 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 people don't get is because i write a lot my stand-up i write obviously and i've written sketches if you look at my past work that are real sketches like with a cast and everything so i'm i'm very good at that but when it comes to the the stuff i've been doing this year with my cell phone, all the political impressions and whatnot, and, and, and especially the Trump, I, I started a podcast uh, two and a half years ago um, as Trump, a weekly podcast with a comedian friend of mine. And doing Trump for an hour off the cuff every week where, you know, he would just, my, my partner would just bring, um, you know, five or six stories, news or pop culture stories, and just riffing on that, it became second nature. You know, it became a, so so by the time people discovered me doing Trump, I had two years of an hour long podcast where I'm doing nothing but riffing in character. Hmm. So for people, it seemed like, oh, wow, he's so good at going off the cuff. And it's like, well, for I mean, it's a it's it's a, a kind of a good luck thing. If maybe I'd been discovered in 2018 doing this, it would have been funny, but maybe not oh my God, this guy's mastered it. And the weaving is so good. Whereas people discovered me when I was peaking with it, which right. is, even though it sucks to have such delayed gratification and feel underappreciated, it's always good when at least when you get discovered that you're like, you're, you're running 
all you're all in and you're 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 an A instead of a B plus. Right. Um, the so, overnight you know. fifteen year sensation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so when you get into uh, that mode and you kind of get going, do you ever feel like you just need to shower or wash your hands afterwards? Because. <laughs> There, there have been some, I can give a preview right now. For example, I just got a couple of hats made. Like I'm doing this web series that I just started this week that will run till inauguration called lame duck Donald. And it's going to be each week, him trying to figure out a new industry to make great again. <laughs> and one of them is Nexium, which is the sex cult that the founder in Albany, New York, just got sent to prison for like a hundred years. So I had a hat made that says, get, make Nexium great again, <laughs> as he's going to be applying to be the head of the sex cult. That might require me to be like, all right, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to confession and take a shower and eat some, some kale to just to make sure mind, body, and soul are, are all purified. <laughs> but, but generally it's a pretty easy switch to turn on and off. Like, there are, you know, the podcast, like I said, not to keep bringing it up, but the podcast has really been such a good training ground. You know, we, for two years, we had 500 listeners a week. So they were a nice, loyal fan base. It yep. wasn't generating anything for us. But once I, you know, so once I say something off color, I'm like, I have said worse things for years on the podcast as Trump. So it's now, now it's pretty easy to, to, to just turn on and off. You're already making up words, already making up words. And I see how it is. He's got to dedicate it because he's only had one wife. He's so weak. So he's got to dedicate it. His wife probably told him to dedicate it to her and his daughters. It's, he's a controlled totally by women. Is there, uh, is there a lame duck? Like, can you give us a bit of a hook since we just promoted it? Like, is there, can you give us a little sample of what a lame duck Donald? Cause I imagine lame duck Donald, uh, like wandering around the white house, you know, trying to, uh, fix everything or, uh, contribute and nobody cares anymore. Like, I, um, oh, that's well, it's, it's obviously if I could do something more, um, elaborate than just videos, you know, at my kitchen table or in my apartment, I would probably have done something a little, bigger, but it's just me at a table discussing like the first one was the New York Knicks who are, you know, notoriously bad basketball franchise, um, from New York is, uh, he wants to buy them and make the Knicks great again. So of course it's him giving this pitch that he's going to bring in a bunch of white players. I'm going to explore other industries that I can make great again. The thing I love about the Knicks is their full name is the New York Knickerbockers. Oh, it's Knickerbockers. We can bleep that out. Nick fans are going to be so tired of winning, their heads will spin. It's a goofy little video, but it's basically, you know, the next one is going to be Make Jeopardy Great Again because Canadian legend Alex Trebek passed away. Mm -hmm. So he wants to be the next host of Jeopardy. We were just and joking about that last night on the show, actually, that he's, uh, oh, dear God, can he, he is looking right. for work. It'd be, and it'd be the worst. It'd be the worst. Like it's, it, you know, people sometimes say, oh, j jokes write themselves. They don't. The great jokes don't write themselves, but the premise does write itself. It does. Um, so, you know, that's, it's just, it's basically Donald Trump soon to be under indictment and unemployed. It, you know, so he's looking for jobs that would fit his uh, his vision of himself. One of the big impacts of COVID on you, uh, you shared on your blog, is the story about your uncle. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is the the serious, heavy stuff, but it right. is real. And um, you know th that that hits you hard, and yet it seems to be a bit of a gift uh, because I I do want to acknowledge you. Uh, what I read in your story afterwards. So can you tell us um, how your uncle was, he lived across the hall from you. He's been like a huge part of your life more than any other right. uncle. But then um, you were looking for a gift for him. And then you, with your newfound Twitter following, were able to do something special just in time. Yeah. Um, like you said, my uncle um, lived in my building uh, from 1985. We moved in in 1986. Uh, he's my mom's only brother. And basically he was, he was literally across, it's almost like a sitcom. He lived across the hall. People are like, Oh, you're neighbors. It's like, no, no, not in like separate houses, literally across the hall was his door. And, uh, in the apartment building we lived in and 
my father uh, was a Haitian immigrant and obviously was present in my life uh, and did all sorts of fatherly things. But he was, my uncle was not only a very involved member of the family by proximity, but was basically that American culture fill in when it comes to sort of sports and pop culture that my father just wouldn't know. It's nothing about neglect. It's like my father wouldn't know baseball and, and uh, rock music and things. These were not things he was raised with or into. So yeah, my uncle was definitely more involved and, you know, was my mom's neighbor till the day he died. Um, you know, since 1986. And so it's sad for my, you know, my mom, as much as is, is a loss for me and my brother uh, and my uncle's girlfriend, it's like, you know, my mom lost her baby brother and her 36 year next door neighbor as well. So it's just a constant reminder. Anyway, obviously we were socially distant and had no idea of his health issues in the middle of the summer. His birthday was uh, June 2nd. And I was saying, okay, well, I'm not even seeing my, I didn't see my uncle since March. And I said, what can I do for him for his birthday? He's a tough person to get a gift for. And the actor, Bob Gunton, for like a month and a half was a big fan of mine. He was the guy who played the warden, most famously the warden in Shawshank Redemption. Best movie ever. And he was following me on Twitter and, and retweeting my videos with great compliments, not only about the humor, but the, my skill as an actor, which is, I'm not an actor. So it's really nice to have somebody who's a, an accomplished actor sort of thinking you're doing really good work. And I, I wrote to him on Twitter and I said, my uncle is a big fan of yours. Like my uncle likes Shawshank Redemption, like, you know, most men between the ages of 29 and 90. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's a big fan of yours specifically. Like I knew facts about Bob Gunton simply because my uncle had like Wikipedia searched him and found him to be like not only a good actor, but have a fascinating life story. So Mr. Gunton autographed a headshot, wrote a note and mailed it directly to my uncle. It arrived on my uncle's birthday as a huge surprise. And my uncle, who was so tough to get gifts for, loved it. Like in a way that I could just tell, I could just tell he was almost like not comfortable expressing how much he enjoyed it. Cause it's, it's a cool thing. And you lose sight of that. Twitter makes you think, Hey, look, I'm talking to a celebrity I've never met, but like they, Oh, this is cool. And you lose sight of the fact that it's still an incredible thing to, to be able to entertain people that you grew up being entertained by. And for my uncle, it was out of the blue. It was a 100% surprise. And um, that was, like I said, in the blog, it was like, I've had a lot of frustrations and successes this year. Um, mostly successes, of course, but there have been frustrations, but, and in, on a personal level, deep sadness, but that was a real highlight. I don't, you know, that's using popularity for something really meaningful. Like if you can help family or you can help people who are less fortunate with what you do as cheesy as it sounds, that really is the most rewarding thing I think you can do with, with any kind of fame or, or quote unquote power. Yeah. And so not only losing stand up, I mean, um, you've, it's affected your family directly. So it just, it's, I think it's so incredibly worth acknowledging. Um, and the fact that you, um, were aware in that, um, that you created that, I just, I just wanted to share, see, you're a funny guy. There's something different about you, um, in how cerebral your writing is, uh, in, even in, in authentic in your posts, in your blog, on your website. Um, I mean, being funny is one thing, but what I wanted to acknowledge in you, cause I, I think it's present in, in what I thought was pre-writing your Trump stuff is that there is very much a depth and awareness to what's going on. And many comedians are funny just so they're not, not funny. <laughs> and you, um, you know, the way you write about your uncle, the way you write about even some of the politics things that you've written about on your website, um, the way you, you create these Trump things. I just want to let you know, like, that's special, dude. Like it is super special. Trump was so easy for me to get good at because he's never not around. Do you know what I mean? Like he's always hogging the media spotlight. And when he's not, the media is looking for him so that they can boost ratings. So it's like the man was practically a roommate. He was on TV so much. So like, rather than just picking up on, Ooh, I watched a video of Trump and I'm trying to do an impression. It was more like somebody living in my apartment where you start to pick up 
the little nuances and the little ticks because it's like, I just watched Trump for five hours today. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, this is not good, but like I'm seeing everything he does. You know, like you said, the breathing, the funny thing about the breathing is to do the impression the way I do. It's the breathing comes organically because I'm sort of puffing my chest and being very sort of forcing. I'm excuse me. I'm forcing the breath out. So it sort of actually requires me because I'm not in the same shape I was when I played college basketball, by the way, but I'm probably better in better shape than you believe me <laughs> is that I have to take breaths because I'm forcing so much out of my system mm -hmm. that it's like the breathing becomes almost like part of it without me having to say, and then take a deep breath because mm -hmm. he's a slob who has to breathe very heavily. It's more like I'm making myself breathe like him to do the impression. They sort of go hand in hand. We like to say hamburger lover, not slob. Just saying. Right. Well, right. I love hamburgers. And then believe me, I always tell, believe me, see, I'm talking like Trump. What I always laugh at is I need to lose weight before I go back on tour because I used to be very fit. And now I still look trim from like the head to the shoulders. Yeah. So Zoom has been very uh, flattering to me in my, in my slothy snack state that I'm in. So it's like once, once people see me, the two things they're going to be surprised that are like, oh, he's, in, he's not in good shape and he's gigantically tall because <laughs> neither of those come through through you know, Zoom or YouTube. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the new series, Lame Duck Trump. All of those pieces of the puzzle. Um, I, you're welcome to come back anytime, JL. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, share the good word of what you've been up to. Um, I hope Trump leaving office still gives you lots to do around Trump. I have a sneaking suspicion it will. And throw out the website Absolutely. again so everyone can find it. Sure. Thank you. Uh, pleasure doing this. Thanks for asking. And it's uh, jlcomedy.com. You just... Anything you want to find me on a podcast, uh, social media, my albums, everything, the blogs you referred to, it's all, all right there, jlcomedy.com. And you can buy orange wigs on the website. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.